BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you ready? Jesse Blake Sports Report. Really? Oh, wait, really? The Jesse Blake Sports Report. That's it? Don't forget, it's the Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. <laughs> you know, that's kind of redundant. Dude, is there a problem? No, it's fine. I, I just, you know, I thought maybe you guys would come up with something, you know, good. Man, I just read it. You know what? Doesn't matter to me. I get paid by the word. <laughs> Let's do this. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome back to the Jesse Blake Sports Report. I am pleased to be joined today by Tim Haraney of the TSN Racing Pod. If you need to stay up to date on the racing world, that is the podcast you need to listen to. Not this one. Go over and listen to the TSN <laughs> Racing Pod. Uh, follow Tim on all social media at Tim Haraney. And... Uh, my co-host from the Steve Dango podcast, Adam Wild, is also here for a little F one round. Happy to be here. <laughs> let's just talk to. Let's just ask Tim a bunch of questions. Yeah, honestly. yeah. So, Tim, let's let's go back to last Thursday when Vettel shocks the world. He announces he's retiring from racing, citing to wanting to spend more time with his family and like racing is a twenty four hour oh yeah uh, lifestyle, and he he yeah. wants to kind of get away from that. What was your reaction uh, from the retirement announcement? Well, first of all, thanks guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. This has always been a lot of fun. I know, you know, Jesse and I, you and I did this uh, a while back and it was a good time. So yeah, thanks again, guys. This is great. Um, yeah, the, the Vettel signing. I mean, I think it caught a lot of people off. Uh, I had a feeling that it was coming down um, the pipeline earlier in the week. But before that, I mean, speaking with the team and just trying to get a gauge for just how how badly they wanted him back i mean they they really wanted him to come back i mean they tried hard to um to to, to get him back on, on a longer term sort of a deal i mean i'm not too sure what the time frame looked like in terms of how many years uh but I, outside of that i mean they really appreciated what he brought to the team and then you add on top of that his relation that he has with mike crack because mike actually is a, who's the team principal at aston martin um mike actually had worked with Seb in his earlier years um, at uh, when Seb was basically first starting off in Formula One. So he already had a relationship with him. So he knew what he was getting himself. Mike Crack knew what he was getting himself into and he came and joined Aston Martin in the offseason. Um, so, so that being said, you know, the team loved the guy. They wanted him back big time. But I think just at the end of the day, there was a number of different factors um, that, you know, Seb just didn't 
didn't want to come back. I mean, spending more time with his family was one of the things that he talked to us a lot about when we were uh, when we were speaking with him on the Thursday and hearing from him on the Thursday. And it was that it was also I think he just wanted to to do more in terms of, you know, hey, what what else can I do with the climate crisis? What else can I, you know, give back in some capacity? How else can I do that without flying around and burning all these natural resources? Uh, and that was one of the things that he had talked about as, as well. And I think for, for Formula One, that's a, I think it's a tough loss having a, a, a driver uh, as big of a name as Sebastian Vettel is, leave the sport and you know, I I had said this on SportsCenter, you know, I think he is the the conscience for Formula One, you know, him and Lewis Hamilton. And now that, you know, Seb will be gone next year, I think, you know, he'll be missed because even just talking to the drivers on the Thursday, you know, they, they all didn't necessarily talk about Seb's on-track successes, which, which are many guys. I mean, four-time mm-hmm. world champion, one of the most winningest drivers in the sport. They wanted to talk about all the things he did off of the racetrack. I mean, even the things that he did with the GPDA, because he's a, he's a director of the GPDA. And for those who don't know, the Grand Prix Drivers Association, um, they kind of look after the drivers. And basically what the GPDA does is if something is unsafe, they'll bring it to the attention of the FIA. If they don't want to do something, they'll... Uh, get together with the GPDA and they'll work something out. And Seb was like a huge voice on the GPDA as well. So the drivers want him to come back to be that director still, because right now, if he had left, it would be just George Russell and Alexander Vertz. And so I think having uh, Seb there was very important. If we go back to Austria, and I don't know if you guys remember but on the the Friday, Seb actually walked out of the the drivers meeting, and he got he got a twenty five thousand twenty five thousand euro suspended fine for doing that. And it's one of those things like you can't do that, right? You cannot walk out on a drivers meeting, right? You just you you can't. There are rules put in place saying that you can't. But he stood up and he's like, I had enough of this. So that's what he had to say, and he walked out and he left. Now, later, he did get back together with the race director, apologize for for leaving and such. But, I mean, that just shows, I think, that he was starting to kind of get over it. He was getting extremely frustrated with everything, and 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 especially on the race control side, um, just the inconsistencies. Uh, and so, Seb is kind of one of those only drivers who could actually do that and get away with it. So, it's <laughs> kind of like he yeah. was a... He had that uh, power, I mean, to do those types of those types of things. And I think that's one of the reasons why that, you know, the drivers really wanted him to come back. It's a bit of a shame for the newer F1 drivers that are coming in or fans that are coming in the last couple of years, because they're going to remember Seb as the Aston Martin driver who finished 12th in 2021. And then the angry old man from this year who <laughs> kind of called the quits, yeah. you know, and that that's kind of the lasting <laughs> impression. But if you go back, like you said, the resume is there and, and the drivers really looked up to him and he's going to be there etched in history forever. Well, the Vettel Weber. Mm-hmm. Uh, pairing mm-hmm. was quite the driver pairing, right? And four times in a row, mm-hmm. I think you're. Four it, it's just a, uh, it's an unbelievable accomplishment. And I think with, there's four drivers currently on the grid that have won a world championship, and you're losing one. I, I don't know. It just Tim. It seems, um, it seems like whatever he does next will be notable, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Does that? It seems sure. like he's going to try to make something of the rest of his life as well. 
Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. I mean, he's opened up his own bee farm. Um, he's launched, uh, you know, he's helped launch a, um, a carbon capture facility over in, oh, I believe it's over in Europe somewhere as well. I think those things are, those things are huge. They're important parts for just like our climate going forward. And for, you know, Sebastian, you know, we, you know, we, uh, I've, you know, I've spoken with him like tons of times, but in Miami, it was interesting because he, you know, he, he, he made this statement with a t-shirt that he had on. It was, I can't remember the the exact saying, but it was like Miami Grand Prix, you know, underwater in 2020 or underwater yeah. in 2033 or something along those lines. And it was a, you know, pretty powerful, powerful message. Right. And, you know, it, it it strikes up conversation. And the first thing is, that I wanted to talk to him about was his T-shirt and his thoughts on that. And where does he see that going? He, he didn't necessarily want to talk about racing. I mean, that's good. That sends him that's sending a message, right? He's he's using the media to, to send out that narrative, which is, you know, it, it, it's smart at the end of the day. Um, and for Seb, you know, leaving Formula One, you're kind of losing that platform. But I think having that Instagram channel, that kind of gives him a different type of a platform because let's, you know, I don't know if you guys followed it or not, but, you know, the day before Sebastian announced his retirement, he launched his own Instagram account and Mm -hmm. Seb doesn't have social media. He's never had it. He's never liked it. And this was it. And I would say within a day and a half, this guy had 2 million followers, like, that was it. Like it's all, he could, and I think he could really use that going forward. But I also think there's another side of this where I think I have a feeling like F1 will want to do something with with Seb um, for next season and then moving on into the future as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so with Seb's retirement, that leads to the big bomb on uh, Monday where Alonso is going to fill the seat. And that was a real shocker because, one, Alpine found out through the press release. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then um, we kind of, when we when you look at the negotiations and how everything kind of played out, we discovered that it happened over the course of the weekend. That it, was, it wasn't like Alonzo was, was sitting there in, in waiting for when Seb retires. No, the negotiations took place over the weekend. And then Monday, it, all of a sudden, it drops. It's, I mean, it's the thing is, the drama in this sport is unmatched. And, and I think... Tim, you know, we, we saw it in, in uh, I think it was a Ferrari driver, but I can't remember. Or no, it was Daniel Ricciardo when he left in Drive to Survive. And you could see that they're like, OK, so don't talk about that right now because uh, he was still a Red Bull driver. But it's sort of one of those things that comes as a surprise to the team. Tim, when you look at this, is it an odd fit? I, I felt like Aston Martin's one of those teams that like, I, I don't know, why not a young driver? Why not somebody on the come up? Lance Lance Stroll's been around a long time. Uh, another veteran driver. I don't understand what the what the goal here is. You have to remember this is a new team, right, guys? I mean, like <laughs> obviously, um, them taking over for when it was Force Force India was a is a different story from what it is now, and then it transitioning into Racing Point, and then Racing Point into Aston Martin. They're with this team. It is much much different uh, from what it is now to what it was in terms of a new state-of-the-art factory coming online. They're going to be having so much more equipment, resources, personnel that they've never had in the past. We're talking about when Lawrence took over this thing, there was about 400 employees. 
Mercedes has over, you know, 1,500 employees. So when we talk about, you know, this change, they have over 500 employees now, and that number is going to keep going up. They've cherry picked, you know, certain individuals from teams to come over and work at Aston Martin. Lawrence Stroll is building this team to be a powerhouse that's going to sustain itself like the Mercedes, like Ferrari, like Red Bull, just always being in some sort of contention, either for race wins, either for championships. And what comes with that, and it's smart by Lawrence, is that you need experienced drivers who have been in all of it to come onto your team and help guide you. You can't do it with rookies and you can't do it with younger drivers because they've never experienced it. If we look at Fernando Alonso's resume, the guy has been in Formula One since like ever. I mean, he has won two world championships. He's taken out, we've taken down Michael Schumacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's impressive for what this guy has accomplished in the cars that he has driven because this gives you experience. And this also gives you experience in terms of what are the teams doing at the factories and how can I take that information and transfer it into another team? So this was always going to happen. I mean, back on like Monday, I had the inkling that, you know, Seb wasn't going to continue with the team. And I knew that, you know, they had been speaking with, you know, Fernando Alonso. And I knew that this was another driver who was the next best thing on the grid that if you wanted him on a team that is just starting to come up, you want Fernando Alonso. You want to have the experience. Seb put forward to Lawrence, like, bring over Mick. Put Mick in my car. He's he's ready. I think he's good enough. The only thing that he didn't have was the experience. So then you take a look at that, and it's kind of like, well, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so then you take a look at that, and it's like, well, we don't necessarily want someone who doesn't have a lot of experience we want someone who has the most and who is that it's fernando alonso and here we are yeah and and in his press release he said no one in f1 is demonstrating a greater vision and absolute commitment to winning he's speaking about aston martin there and the hopes are that in the next not next season not 2023 but 24 25 that they're up with the with the top uh teams in f1 and do you think Aston Martin has what it takes? Or are we expecting that his desire to keep winning is going to come true by making this switch? It's it's going to be tough. I mean, this is going to take a few years. And I don't necessarily see them winning races in 2023. I mean, maybe 2024, maybe 2025. I would say the 2025 is probably the more realistic and this is a 40 year old Uh, driver who's now making a commitment for the next four years if that's when they're going to start competing right and that's the thing where it's like okay well how long is this multi-year deal that's that's kind of a question (laughs) i honestly i i don't know what the uh the the nitty-gritty is of all the contracts but I do have an understanding that uh, if it's a multi-year deal, then it's got to be, I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of like a two-year deal, maybe with a, you know, a three-year option at some point, uh, who knows, right? And then how is 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 this relationship going to work? I mean, is it going to work out? Are we going to get the same Fernando Alonso who was a, a team player at Alpine? 
my thoughts are yes. And I think that is what Aston Martin has maybe made you know known to him is like, hey, you're coming over here to be a team player. I have a feeling that's what's been done. It's not necessarily a fact, but <laughs> it's what I think. And I uh, I just I just think that having him around for a few seasons is a great thing for this team. Mm. I think it's really going to push them up the grid. It's not necessarily going to make them like winners right away. And that's going to take some time. And, and I think for, for Lance, I think this is a good fit. And, you know, you'd made mention a previous question about it, but it's kind of like you, it, it doesn't help Lance that if every driver that comes in is a driver that is less talented than Lance, less experienced than Lance, it doesn't help him. What helps him is giving him teammates who are quicker than he is, who are more experienced than he is, who have won championships, who have won races. Because as a driver, if you're willing to learn, that is the best way to do it. In my career, I had a teammate in uh, Champ Car Atlantics. He was so fast. So he had raced all over the world. He'd race in everything. And my mindset was, okay, this guy's going to you know, he's going to kick my ass for a few races, but I got to keep up and I got to catch up with him and I have to learn from him. And he was a good teammate on that side where, you know, he helped teach me a few things that helped me catch up with him. And that's the type of knowledge that you kind of want as a driver, because it increases your experience, gives you more tools in the tool belt, if you will. And that's important as a racing driver because sometimes a car is not going to give you what you want it to have, and you have to find a way around it. You know, the, you're not going to engineer your way out of it. You're going to have to figure out how to drive the car a certain way that's going to keep the tire alive, but at the same time make you quick. And that's extremely hard, but you learn those things from the more experienced guys. Hello, I'm doing an insert on this podcast because since we've recorded as is tradition on this network, news has changed and there's been breaking news. So Oscar Piastri, who we're about to talk about as the new uh, driver at Alpine, because Alpine decided to confirm that Piastri was going to be the new driver, he has taken to his Twitter account and has said that, I understand that without my agreement, Alpine F1 have put out a press release late this afternoon that I'm driving for them next year. This is wrong, and I have not signed a contract with Alpine for 2023. I will not be driving for Alpine next year. Oh, baby, it has been absolute pandemonium in the F1 world today with all of this drama and all of these moving pieces. So we don't know where this is going to land. Like, this is, this is the latest news that Alpine announced uh, Piastri will have the seat and then Piastri comes back at them on Twitter and says, no, I'm not your driver for next year. So I'm going to let the rest of our conversation play where we talk about Piastri becoming the next Alpine driver. And then uh, so take that information as it is. But the new info is that, no, he's not the new driver and we don't know what's going to happen next. Everything is chaos and pandemonium. Uh, and then Oscar Piastri, F2 champion, fills the seat at Alpine. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Piastri? Adam and I mean, Tim. Well, Tim, you give it to me first. I have I mean, thoughts, like, but they're not as intelligent as yours. But here's, here's the thing, though. I mean, guys, at one point, 
like Oscar was going to replace the whole grid. Apparently, yeah. according to the media, <laughs> like, like, oh my god, like figure it out. Like he was never. I it, listen. I don't think Oscar Piastri was ever going to leave Alpine, and because there don't were think rumors the stuff, about McLaren, right? Yeah, I don't think any of these things. I think it might be maybe management on his side spreading that within the, the media, whatever whatever that is. I don't know, but I've heard some things. But at the end of the day, if you're Oscar Piastri and you've had Alpine bring you this far, I mean, you have to fulfill that obligation and get into that car because I think at the end of the day, this team is going forward. Mm-hmm. I think having that Fernando Alonso time that they've had has helped them get to where they are, where they're going to be fighting for fourth and fifth in the constructor standings right now. And then if you look at next season, I think they could move up to third as well and fight, start fighting in, in, in the top three. Well, especially because- if Ferrari keeps giving away points. It- <laughs> oh, yeah, that too, right? But, I mean, if you look at the trajectory of the team since bringing over Otmar Safnar as well, they've brought upgrades to almost every single race this season. And this car has only gotten better every single race this season. And if you want to be a serious Formula One team, and if you think that in injecting your resources into this season is that important, then that's what you want to do. And if you're going to lose Fernando Alonso, you want to take your next best thing which is Oscar Piastri. You want to have him in that seat. He's won in every single category he's pretty much raced in, and he's super talented, and you've dumped a ton of money into his career. You have to bring him on board. The thing with the Williams stuff, I don't think that was ever going to work because (laughs) if we think about it, like Williams, these are my thoughts though. Like Williams has a deal with Mercedes. Right. They run Mercedes engines. They run the rear ends of the Mercedes. They run Mercedes gearboxes. You would have to take Oscar Piastri, I think, on a loan. And then if you're taking him on a loan, you have to take the Alpine equipment at the same time, I would imagine, because I don't think Alpine is just going to let one of their drivers who races under their brand to go over to a team as powered by Mercedes and has uh, Mercedes equipment. I just don't see how that would work. So Williams would have to redesign a part of their car just to fit Alpine components, right? So that's that's where my mind was at with that one. Mm-hmm. The McLaren thing, I I don't see that. Out. Zach Brown's not going to get rid of Daniel Ricciardo right away. I mean, if you look at Daniel Ricciardo, is he struggling right now? Yeah. Can he get faster? Absolutely. He's Daniel Ricciardo. He hasn't lost his talent, hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that you got to keep both Lando and Daniel together. And then on the flip side of that for McLaren, Ricardo's a marketing machine. Yeah. yeah. Sells cars. <laughs> sells yeah, t-shirts. Man, like, yeah. So yeah. why would you take Oscar Piastri? Like, yes, talented. Uh, but, but why would you take him on board? He, No one knows who he would be. This was the best fit for Oscar. And I also think he's, he's going to have a great career there at the same time. And if I mess them on Ocon, like <laughs> I'm getting ready for next season, man, because Oscar Piastri is definitely quick. And do you have some thoughts on well, McLaren? I just, I just want to say <laughs> quickly on Alpine. I'm a McLaren guy, yeah, they, Tim. That's, so uh, that's this, your team. It, it's it's nice to hear. I listen. I want uh, it's like cheering for McLaren is like cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Mm-hmm. You're perennial losing, but um, and 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 missed <laughs> opportunities. I uh, one day we're going to talk about why they have such a bad car this year, but it's not today. I do want to say about the Alpine car, um, it's it's gotten better and better and better. It looks like they're you know if things keep going this way, they're going to be fourth place this year, which is pretty amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to know 
uh, because we saw uh, Akon and we saw Alonzo fighting it out a little bit uh, at the Grand Prix this weekend. Um, how's the relationship there? Obviously, Alonzo's a team player, but he's one of the most competitive guys in the sport. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about what what's the conversation like after that, after they get double passed by Ricardo? How does that all go in the garage later? I think for for Esteban, it's uh, I think he's raced Fernando pretty hard this season. You have to remember that like like Alonso's a force of nature, man. Yeah. Like he's once he comes onto your team and you're his teammate, look out. Like it's <laughs> it's tough. He's a tough teammate. He's probably one of the toughest teammates I think there is. And for Ocon, you have to remember like his mindset's got to be, look, I've gone to F1 and then I left F1 and then I got back into F1 and now I have this great opportunity at this team and now Fernando Alonso is my teammate. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I have to make this work because Ocon, if you guys know his story, like he 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 doesn't come from from a lot of wealth. You know, they were living out of a trailer and and going around all of Europe go-karting and that was their home and you know, for, for Esteban, I have huge respect for that guy. And the mentality that he has is like, I got to do whatever I got to do to stay here. And I respect that. And I think going up against Fernando Alonso is only going to make him even stronger. But yeah, the conversation uh, after that race is 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 uh, going to be, I wouldn't say heated, but I would say there would definitely be a conversation between the two drivers. And I think at the same time, it's kind of like that was to me kind of like the writing on the wall for Fernando not really like Mm. sticking around because we've seen Fernando hold guys up on track for Esteban so he can go and get good points or score a win or whatever. So I just at that point, I was just like, yeah, I don't think he's I don't think Fernando's sticking around. What, What well, once once you saw what happened on Sunday and then, you know, hearing from both the drivers afterwards and I had asked them about this in Montreal, like during the Canadian Grand Prix and like neither one of them threw each other into the bus at any point. And then on Sunday after the race, it was kind of just like, yeah, you know, I probably would have done, you know, better if Fernando hadn't have done, but oh, well, I would have done better if Esteban hadn't have done it. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's kind of like for me, I was kind of like, ah, there's something going on here, you know. Before we have to run, hottest topic of the weekend Hungarian Grand Prix. If this was a North American professional sport, a head coach at Ferrari would have been fired. The the errors they made going going to the hard tire when all of the evidence was there from the other cars that the hard tires weren't going to activate. Tire strategist before the race said, "Do not use the hard tire." Red Bull had Max and Checo in the car saying, "We can't go with our hard tire strategy. We need to switch because on the formation lap they discovered their mediums weren't even activating." So why did Ferrari just? hard-headedly go with the decision to stick to their um, hard tire strategy with Leclerc and is something going to happen with their strategy department that all the fans of Ferrari are begging to happen like is somebody going to lose a job here the (laughs) I'm just trying to Think of the right way of going about this. <laughs> okay, come on, Tim. It's a tough conversation. Well, the thing is, it's like it's it's uh, it's difficult. I mean, if you look at Inaki Rueda, who's been running their strategy since around 2014, and then obviously he's had some support thrown in there with him at the same time. 
it's, uh, you know, they've had difficulties on that side. Now, I'm not saying you go in there and you start, you know, firing people from their jobs or anything like that. Uh, I'm just saying maybe just think about, give it a think about some restructuring, about how you approach, you know, that side of 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 your racing. And maybe it's maybe it's just moving from like one person who's in the number one chair, maybe move them to a different chair in a, in a department where they're going to be very successful. It's very I don't really political. know what that is. This is a very political answer. I'm just throwing I that out. I don't really there. know what that answer is, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't I, I don't think though it falls on the shoulders of Mattia Bonotto. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people online are saying like, oh, this guy's got to go and whatever. I'm like, but if you've been watching Formula One and like I've been around Ferrari for a very long time, the shift in culture mindset at that team is drastically different from what it used to be. Once Mattia took over at this team in 2019 from Maurizio Riva Bene, it's been drastically different in the way they've approached their um internal situations is much different and it's more of a team atmosphere now and i would say than it was in years past and on top of all that Mattia is a ferrari guy he has been at that team since day one he's been there for the schumacher dominance he's been there for all the world championships he knows how all of that is done like he knows the team inside and out I wouldn't say that that's a smart move to just say, hey, let's get rid of Mattia Bonotto. I No, because he's got them to where they are, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's got them to this point. Mm-hmm. If you go back to 2020, that team is nowhere. They were nowhere. They were, they were struggling with the car, struggling because of the engine issues that they had faced with 2019. And they had to basically rebuild everything. And now here they are with a car that's probably the fastest on the grid. Two drivers who are incredible. And if you just clear up some reliability, you clear up your your strategy department, then this team is going to be very hard to beat. Extremely hard. And so that's why I say it's not it's not something you just go, do and you go in and you wipe everybody out and you fire everyone and do all these things because it's just not going to help you. Right. It just it won't. As a Formula One team, you can't have that amount of restructuring and be successful. Um, I just think that just going in and firing people in for anything is always the wrong, always the wrong solution. That is Tim Haraney of the TSN Racing Pod saying, don't fire everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. This was a fantastic conversation. And hopefully, uh, once the season picks back up again, we can do this again. Yeah, hundred percent. Thanks very much for having me on guys. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. And yeah, anytime you want me to come on, just, yeah, no worries. Adam, I'm making you stick around because I want to get your thoughts on just two quick things. Let's do it. So, uh, Mercedes over the weekend. My team. George Russell picks up pole position on Saturday. Absolutely fabulous. Lewis Hamilton, if that race is 100 laps instead of 70, he probably catches Max. I think so. So... Is there something where we could look to the second half of the season where if I go to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN and I see Mercedes at 17 to 1 on the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull, like it's not even worth betting. It's 1.12 on the odds. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Ferrari 7 to 1, but Mercedes sitting there at third, 17 to 1. Is there a shot with the consistency of George and Lewis and the car looking great that Mercedes can get the Constructors at least? I'm going to tell you why I think there is. 
And I think why I would actually take that, and I probably actually will after this episode because I didn't even realize those were the odds. So I might actually go. I might go bet on that. So here's the thing. So so when George got pulled, I thought the detail that that was most important was that in no sector was he the was he the number one car. He just put together the best three sectors. Wow! But throughout that that lap in qualifying, he was not the number one car in any of those three sectors. And it's the consistency. What's so interesting about Mercedes versus Ferrari, because obviously Red Bull's in a league of their own right now. There's still 10 races to go. Mm-hmm. Still got, wow, 55% of the, sorry, 45% of the season to go. What's so interesting is that Mercedes races like a championship team. And what I mean by that, it's the little things. When you see Lewis going in at the beginning of the season and he's doing four second pit stops. You're like, what the heck's going on? (laughs) Something's off. The car is off. They're bouncing around. The porpoising's an issue, whatever. But you know that Lewis knows and that team knows how to win. They know how to do it. They've done it so many times. They won the driver's champion, sorry, the uh, team championship last year and were frankly, by the way, I had to finish Drive to Survive. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to watch the last two episodes because I knew (laughs) it would break my heart. (laughs) Here's why it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart in two ways. Number one, Max Verstappen, seven years. The kid was, he was like 16 when he started in F1 with Toro Rosso. I've been rooting for him for years. It's, it's such a shame that he won the championship that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, he won. Yes, he deserved it. I think he was the, you know, if you want to look at, oh, most polls and most this and most that. Yeah, sure, he deserved it. So did Lewis. So for Max to win that way sucks. And for Lewis to lose that way sucks. It it should have just been a battle. No one won. Nobody won. Yeah. Nobody Max won. won, so I, but so nobody I'm not, won. <laughs> I'm not anti one and pro the other. I'm pro both. And it just sucks that they took the best season in Formula One history and it ended on such a fart. And and so so going into this year though, Mercedes knows that um they've got a really great car but as toto keeps saying we have to unlock it but we don't know where the key is and it seems like they're unlocking it but the consistency lewis putting in the 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 top lap uh or the the fastest lap excuse me during the race is also really week after week after week well and 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 this is the thing it comes down to they don't have the fastest car mm-hmm. but what ferrari does is they screw it up they got the fast oh, there's many weekends where ferrari's had the fastest car but they make mistakes on sunday yes <laughs> where max verstappen is 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 uh and, and lewis hamilton are like thanos right they're inevitable mm-hmm. they don't make mistakes and you're seeing ferrari with younger drivers make mistakes and i think um what's interesting about how george russell fits into this is while lewis hamilton was getting it sorted out earlier this year george russell was always finishing in the top five keeping them in it mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, Jesse, if if we're going to go off of like Red Bull's going to, it's hard to believe, it'd be hard to see how Red Bull doesn't win a, the majority of the, of the races. So if yeah. you're taking those, they are long odds for a reason, but I think Mercedes finishes second this year. And if you're, if you're having a, if you're having a little, you know, a bet and go, you know what, why not? Let's give it a shot. What a comeback story. And I think they're the best bet to it to t- challenge Red Bull. So it was incredible it. to see Max go from tenth to first with a three sixty spin in between it, and just the driving he did, like and the cold tires and that. Like, it was unbelievable the Sunday on. he had. Yes, and he's so flipping good. Mm-hmm. This is what sucks about last season. It's colored this season. It's gone into this season where people are like, "Oh, I'm anti Max or I'm super pro Max." Everybody should be pro Max if you like if you like great racing. Max Verstappen is unfucking believable, and I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, he doesn't mess up. He doesn't miss. 
the only guy that doesn't mess up and doesn't miss other than him is Lewis Hamilton. And that and he's coming on strong in the review mirror. So I like that. It's it's a shame that this year going into it, we all thought it'd be one, two again. Yeah. And then the Mercedes car just hasn't been there. But I hope we get that in 2023. Maybe we get that in the second half. We got somehow. a month to figure it out. Probably not on the driver's championship, but in the constructors. I really think that if if Mercedes keep, keeps up the consistency, maybe Lewis sneaks in one win. Who knows? Or maybe George sneaks it in on a, on a week that Red Bull's power um, fails. Power fails again. On lap 50 or something. You know, that's yeah. what happened in qualifying on saturday and um they were talking if that happened christian horner was saying if that happens 12 kilometers later that happens during a race you know because that happened right at the end of qualifying right. who knows what happens so it's a good point wow there could be some troubles with red bull there's an opportunity for mercedes here but it's interesting to see how ferrari week after week they're second on these odds right now still seven to one week after week they probably have the fastest car but it's everything around the car that seems to be going wrong. I agree. It's just they're 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 painful to watch. Yeah, <laughs> pain, it hurts. They're the they're the worst best team. You know. Yeah. I I don't know. Uh, and you feel for signs in Leclerc because it's a lot of this stuff seems to be out of their control. Yes, but I also think I also think there are guys who have never been in this position before. Mm-hmm. They've never had a car this good. Either of them. They both have talked for years about if we had a car this good. I remember they, they did an interview with uh, Sainz and Leclerc on a golf course last year, and they were talking about the best drivers in the sport, and they talked about Lewis Hamilton. And both of those guys jumped in at that time, and I think it was David Coulthard that was doing the interview, and said, if we had that car, well, now you got that car. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing are driver errors. I'm seeing signs not finish some races. I'm seeing Leclerc spin out for no reason. Yeah, in I, France. I should probably take back when I said none of this is their fault because uh, two weeks ago Leclerc that was that was driver error. Listen, I'm just a guy, yeah. but what I'm seeing is a team that's fucking up because they're new at this, and drivers that are fucking up that because they're new at this. Yeah. And I bet in 23, 24, 25 they're not making these same mistakes. But you have to make the mistakes before you win. Last note. Okay. Is bringing back Danny Ricardo the right move? I think for your team. I McLaren? think Tim Haraney, uh, Tim. Uh, I'm calling him Tim Haraney, but Tim nailed it. I think it's. Um, so one of the things I'm like a McLaren fanatic. Mm-hmm. So I have McLaren T-shirts, <laughs> um, and and not just because of the Formula One team. I love McLaren cars. I think they're unbelievably cool. Um, they have such a style, such a panache. Uh, they're so ingenious in so many ways so like i will be the guy like steve, we make fun of steve dangle for uh going back and watching austin matthews you know 60 goals in a supercut i go on to mclaren's youtube page and watch daniel ricardo do a hot lap in a 720 spider and or some not spider 720s or whatever the mm-hmm. thing is and uh, you know i will i will go and i will do that because i think it's fascinating daniel ricardo not in f1 is bad for f1 oh yeah and i think what mclaren need to do uh, is figure it out. You have the resources. Zach Brown is brilliant, and he's going to manage this well. But uh, like I was watching, and I said to you, the, the last couple episodes of Drive to Survive, and I forgot, oh yeah, Lando Norris was regularly qualifying in the top three or four. Oh yeah. And that's just... And you've, you've seen brief moments of it this year. I, when I said to Natalie uh, yesterday, my girlfriend, I said, because Lando, I think he qualified in fourth or fifth, I'm like, the, the best hope he has is if nobody crashes, he's going to finish seventh. And where did he finish? Because the car, the other, the other two, the other three teams, he's the best driver of the midfield. Mm-hmm. No question. Oh, yeah. But the other three teams' cars are just that much better. And he can't, like, I would love to know what he could do in an LP. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So McLaren need to figure out their car. Ricardo, is he a top five finisher uh, anymore? Who knows? But if he's finishing eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and Lando's finishing uh, second, third, fourth, it's a different McLaren season. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know, he, he's Daniel Ricardo. He's going to sell you a bunch of merch too. Uh, and that matters. <laughs> it does. Like a lot that of gets the, sponsors on board. So much of the business of F1 is just the business of money. Yes. And you're yes. trying to generate funds and Daniel yeah. Ricardo sells he's, a lot of stuff. So, so look at his seasons though, Jess. Like he went from Renault, which were figuring out their car. And then so he was on two seasons of Renault. So he'd been Red Bull his whole life. Two seasons of Renault races really well. Then he's on the last year of the old rules McLaren. Mm-hmm. Now he's on a new spec car. So last year was a new spec car. This year's a new spec car. And the season before is a new spec. He's had a new car literally three seasons in a row. Yeah. Let's give it some time. Let's- give it time. There's a reason the deal is a three-year deal. That is it for us today. Thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here watching or listening to this podcast, the Jesse Blake Sports Report. Thank you, Adam Wilde, for sticking around and doing this. I know... You, you like your naps, and I've impeded that today. It's all right. I'm happy to be on the JSBR. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. And that is how it's done. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. Jesse Blake, the guy that likes to hear his name twice in one sentence. Sure, I know him. No, he doesn't have an ego at all.